Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. I want to welcome everybody to the early service. Glad that you are here. And for those of you that are watching online, we're glad that you've chosen to jump in with us as well. If I haven't met you, I'm Grant. This is church. We're going to be in the book of Psalms this morning. This has been another one of those weeks uh, where I have been short on preparation, long on prayer. So I want to give credit where credit is due. I'd like to thank Laurel Fishbook, Jason Strand, Randy Borland, Jessica Pappen, Brian Behrens, Verizon, Google, and my dog Harlow for helping me out this week. Here we go. We've been doing a series about the power of a single word to change your life when you think about it. One humble cry for help can completely change the trajectory of your life. One yes to God can change the direction of your eternity. One well thought through no can protect your heart and alleviate your stress, change your Monday through Saturday. One well-placed thanks can change your heart and even better change the heart of the person who had the opportunity to hear you say it. We're in a series about seven words God's given us to use that I believe can, can, can contribute to complete transformation if we just use them right. The seven words, thanks, yes, no, help, sorry, enough, and ask are words that we tend to overcomplicate. We put qualifiers on them. We struggle, even apologize for using them instead of embracing their original intent that God gave us to set us free and maybe even set somebody else free as well. So I've said it before, if I was to put the series in a nutshell, it would be simple. Use your words. Just use your words. The word for this weekend is powerful. This single word can repair a broken heart. It can reunite a family. It can reconnect a distant marriage. It can rebuild a relationship from scratch. This single word is a challenge for any human being to use it because it will, come it, will, it will confront head on another powerful force in your life called your pride. Some of you this morning are going to love this word. Some of you are going to hate this word. Today's word is sorry. For my Canadian brothers and sisters, sorry. All right, just so you know. All right, we have to translate. 
God's timing is always amazing to me. Yesterday afternoon at 1.45 p.m., I'm standing at my desk in my office working on this message, and a number pops up on my phone that I didn't recognize. Not in my contacts. All in caps, the gray bubble says, sorry. And I'll be honest with you, my first reaction was to type in, who is this? And then I stopped. And I'll probably have to repent later, but I erased, who is this? And I wrote, for what? (laughs) They said, you know. And I said, say it. (laughs) They responded, do I have to? I said, yep. And this word, these are the words that showed up. You can check, I'll show you my phone later if you want to. They said, sorry I called your mom a troll. (laughs) I said, it's okay. This is me over here in the little green bubble. I said, it's okay. And they said, what? And then a second later, they said, who is this? (laughs) I said, Grant Fishbook. They said, you're not my wife. (laughs) They said, you're our pastor. I responded, who is this and how did you get my number? And they very wisely said, I'm not telling. (laughs) So if you're here, (laughs) we'll have a prayer time up in the front after. We're done today, and I probably am going to need to repent for some part of that conversation, but it was just so fun. (laughs) Two and a half powerful words. It is so hard for so many of us to say, I'm sorry. I've had to use those words four times this week with my dog, long story, (laughs) my wife, a coworker, and a close friend. And every time it was hard. The 1980s band Chicago got it right when they sang the love anthem. It's hard for me to say, I'm sorry. You know why it's so hard? Because it confronts our pride head on because we're going to say, I'm sorry. We have to admit at some point we were wrong. We were wrong and we need to make our wrong right. So let me just share honestly with you. This is my definition of sorry. I'm not saying it's right. In fact, I'm going to tell you it's wrong. It's the tool that I use to smooth over relational stress. That's the tool that I use when I say something stupid, when I speak before I think, when I'm not paying attention and I get caught, when I do something I know is wrong, I will often throw out two and a half little words just to make it all go away. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just want to get back to the place of peace. I'm just going to smooth it all over. And the truth is I may or may not mean it in the moment. I just want peace to come back in. And I think so many of us do that, right? We just say, I'm sorry, as a way of relieving tension and making it all better. We just hope that somebody forgets what happened. And here's the tension for us. That's how we use it. But I want to share with you what I believe is God's definition of sorry. I think it's the tool that he uses to surgically remove pride from my soul. Today we're going to focus on this vertical relationship, okay? 
I know we often want to talk about I'm sorry with regards to human relationships and husbands and wives and fathers and daughters and, and, and mothers and sons, but today we're going to stay here at least for the first part because I believe what we can learn from a sincere apology to God can have unbelievable implications for how we're going to handle an I'm sorry when it comes to offering it to another person or being on the receiving end of it from another person. Let me lay out for you the surgical components of a sincere apology. I had this fancy outline all developed with my homiletical idea and my theological idea and all this stuff, and God just kept saying, Grant, just simple. So here it goes. King David is messing around with another man's wife. The prophet Nathan, a trusted advisor, comes to him and confronts him and says, David, you're an adulterer. And because there was so much trust built between the two of them, that forced a conversation between David and God. Psalm 51, famous passage, is David laying out a sincere apology before God, and we can learn so much from his pain. A sincere apology always starts with this. You have to humbly acknowledge that you are wrong. That's where it starts. Owning your contribution to any broken moment is hard because you've got to swallow your pride to even, to even entertain the idea that somehow you may have been a contributor. You know how I know this is true? Because I have watched this all week long. As soon as I told people that I was going to be preaching on sorry, we actually changed the topic on Monday. I was going to do enough, change the word. But I would say to them, you know, I'm going to talk about sorry. And immediately, it was amazing, they started talking about a list of people that owed them an apology. Not a single one thought, I should probably make a list of people that I owe an apology to. There's just something inside of us that says, I'm right, and they're wrong, and there's this group of people that should, uh, they should line up and, and, and offer me an apology. And so I know, for most of us in the room right now, that was immediately where your mind went. Here's this list of people, and so here's what I'm going to do. After church, I'm going to set up a spot in the commons. I'm going to stand there and wait for this group of people to line up and make amends with me. And if they don't own their stuff in that moment, then Grant didn't do his job, and this I'm sorry stuff is not true, and the Holy Spirit is asleep at the wheel at Christ the King church. Honestly, how many of us would immediately think about a list of people that we need to go to? It all starts with an honest conversation and ownership between David and God. Listen to him talk Psalm 51 verse 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David says, I gotta own this. I know my transgressions. Nobody knows what I did better than I do. I know what I did and I know that any sin that I commit, whether it actually offends a brother or a sister is actually an offense against God because Jesus died for all sin, all time, for all people. David's like, I know God knows my secrets. Everything that I did, I know what I did. There are times when I have to come to Laurel and I throw out those two and a half words, I'm sorry, and she always responds exactly the same way. For what? If I can't own it, I can't sincerely apologize for it. Listen to David in Psalm 38. It's a theme that comes all through Scripture, but I confess my sins. I'm deeply sorry for what I have done. When I can say it, I can own it. When I can say it, then I can ask for forgiveness for it. But this is what makes it so unbelievably difficult. When it comes to seeing your sin, I have no problem doing that. 
but boy, do I struggle to see my own. I mean, think about it, right? I can just pick it out in other people. It's just so unbelievably easy for all of us. But when it comes to seeing our own stuff and owning what we have contributed, that is an unbelievably difficult challenge. Listen to David in Psalm 19. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Sometimes we need God to shine a light where we don't want him to shine a light because it means I got to own something that I did and that's just not fun. Seeing your own contribution is hard, but that's where God wants to help you by empowering you to say yes to his searching so you can say no to your own pride and end up thanking him for the forgiveness that he offers. There, we just used every single word from the series so far. So you got to start by owning your own part. Secondly, there's a sincere ask for forgiveness. I'll be honest, I don't like the words I'm sorry because they've become so unbelievably watered down in our world. Sorry you felt that way. Sorry, but you hurt me first. How about this one? Fine then, sorry. Every one of those sentences, they lack the same component. It's sincerity. Let me give you an upgrade for I'm sorry. When I do wedding or marriage counseling or premarital counseling and I sit with a couple, I always tell them, just get rid of the words I'm sorry from your vocabulary and try this one on for size instead. I was wrong. I was wrong. And I need you to forgive me. It's clear. It's concise. It gives you an opportunity to tell them what you were wrong about. I want you to listen to David The entire first part of the psalm is David detailing out his response to his own sin. It's the sin of adultery. His heart is broken. He's grieved over it. And then he passionately asks for forgiveness with these heartfelt words. If you grew up in church, you've heard them before. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let me give you a modern translation. God, I sinned against you. And it hurt somebody else. And I own it, and now I need to do whatever, whatever I need to do, and I'm giving you permission to do whatever you need to do to wipe my heart clean, to remove my sin. And then, God, I want to go one step further. I want you to renew the kind of spirit within me that's going to keep me from slipping back into an old sinful pattern. God, don't just fix it or smooth it over. Start all over again inside of me. Make me new. Reconstruct my heart while you destruct my pride. I'm married, which means I'm an expert in having to apologize. (laughs) But I remember years ago, Laurel got tired of my apologies. I'd be careless with my words. My schedule would get out of control again, fall back into old patterns, and, and she would come and point out my fault, which I was guilty of, and I would show up, and I would apologize sincerely. But here was the problem. I'd turn around and do exactly the same thing again. We had a watershed moment in our relationship when Laurel said these words to me, I don't want your apology. I want you to change. David is saying, I'm in a place where I'm so broken that I'm going to sincerely ask for forgiveness. And God, I can't change on my own. I need you to start all over 
again because this pattern is destroying my life. So I'm going to own what I need to own and sincerely ask both for forgiveness and help. Number three, in that moment, then you got to believe that God can and will forgive you. We're going to keep the relationship vertical, remember? God said that when I ask him for forgiveness, he forgives. 1 John 1, 9, I love it. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a promise that I hear over and over again in scripture. If you ask sincerely, God will forgive. But I hear people say this to me all the time. Grant, I confessed it, but I don't feel forgiven. I just can't forgive myself. I have a question for you if you're struggling with that. Could it be that you not feeling forgiven is actually because you're not fully living in the forgiveness that Jesus promised? In fact, could I, could I be blunt and even borderline rude? Who do you think you are to reject what Jesus has said is already done? Because we think somehow it's all about us and our feelings. I think your feelings, while they can be misconstrued at times, is something you need to absolutely turn towards. But just because you don't feel forgiven doesn't mean, doesn't mean you haven't been forgiven. And so it means we have to turn more fully into the promise of God over and over and over again. Listen to David in Psalm 51, 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, O God, will not despise. Which means this, when we come owning our stuff with a sincere apology before God, God doesn't look at our heart and push it away. He draws it close. A broken heart is gathered up and restored and renewed by God. That's what he does. A contrite heart is lifted out of old sin and put in a brand new place. 2 Corinthians 5. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old stuff is gone. Everything has become new. It's time for the people of God to actually start believing that what God says is true is actually true. Which means if you have been forgiven, that's the truth. End of argument. When you own your stuff and ask for forgiveness, you have to believe God's going to do what he said he would do. Let me put it this way. If you're human and humble enough to admit it, he will be God enough to forget it. Let me say that again. If you're human and humble enough to admit it, he will be God enough to forget it. I heard you sing it. Stood in the wings. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection. We will rise again for I believe in the name of Jesus. And then you had this really cool bridge. Our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Be careful with your feelings. Turn towards them, feel them completely, but wrap a truth around your feelings. If you confess, if you sincerely apologize to God, He will forgive. One more piece to go. When you've been forgiven by God, then you get to tell the story of God's forgiveness. David presses in, Psalm 51. Verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare 
your praise. I've learned something. When you offer a sincere apology to God and you have been forgiven by him, when then you are challenged to ask for forgiveness from somebody else, it's easier. God dealt with your pride the first time. He will support you as you humble yourself and make it right with someone else when you're placed in that position. You dealt with your price once or pride once, now you get to do it again. And no matter their response or their reaction, God calls us to this beautiful work. And I've talked the whole time about seeking God's forgiveness vertical. You know why? Because it works with people too. If you ask me how to make something right with another person, whether it's a spouse or a friend or a coworker, I would say exactly the same thing. Start with owning your part. Be sincere when you ask for forgiveness. Believe that all forgiveness starts with God and ends with God. And then when you're done, make sure that you have an opportunity to tell the story of God's forgiveness to others. This week, let's be honest. Some of you need to start your Monday by going to someone and saying, I was wrong. Use your words. This is where the room always gets really, really quiet. God has called us to make the ask. A follower of Jesus would want to make it right. Let's flip the coin over for a second. We've covered asking for forgiveness, and now we're going to go into that interesting place. <laughs> what about when someone asks you for forgiveness? And as much as I would like to categorize and complicate this for you, I have one verse for you. When someone humbly comes and asks for forgiveness, my Bible says, <laughs> forgive as the Lord forgave you. But Grant, it's really, really big. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. But I'm not sure I can quite get there. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. As a follower of Jesus, we are compelled to offer what we have received. So God is calling us all to offer the gift because forgiven people forgive people. I'll say that again. Forgiven people forgive people. And I can already hear the excuses because I've said them all. I would forgive them, but they haven't asked yet. You know, it's amazing to me when I read the transcript of what happened at the cross, I was not physically or geographically there. I was there in spirit because Jesus was dying for my sin on the cross, but I wasn't even there to ask the question whether or not he could forgive me, and his response was penned down for the rest of history. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So I guess that excuse doesn't hold water. Apparently, you can forgive without being asked. Here's another excuse, but you don't know what they did to me, and that's true. None of us in this room know what someone else has done to Jesus. And yet his decision was to forgive. 
It's interesting. In a couple of weeks, we're going to do another Ask Me Anything weekend where I sit up here with no prep. I just have my Bible with me and you text in live questions and I do my best not to make an idiot of myself. Um, and we talk about Jesus and scripture and the word and theology and whatever else you want to ask. And it's interesting as we've done like four or five of these over the last while, it's interesting to me that the theme of forgiveness comes up over and over and over and over and over again. This is something we struggle with. So I want to put you in a place. Let's say this week someone humbles themselves and comes to you and says, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? I think it's important for us to understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying that what happened was okay. It may have been evil, wrong. Forgiveness is not denying that you got hurt. In fact, some of those wounds may last for a lifetime as you ask God to heal piece after piece. Forgiveness is not waiting for apology. You can forgive without being asked. Forgiveness is not trusting immediately again or even at all in some cases. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean a side of amnesia shows up in your life. I mean, we need to keep the lessons, but remember what happened to you doesn't have to define you. Forgiveness is not ceasing to feel pain. You, f- you feel it. It comes back and you learn from it and you pray that one day maybe God can take whatever you went through and had to forgive someone else for. You hope and pray that maybe someday you can pay that forward into somebody else's life. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. You may have to forgive over and over and over And over again, forgiveness is not neglecting justice. Sometimes justice is warranted. Forgiveness is not a get out of jail free card. What happened may have dire consequences, but you can still choose to forgive and trust that God's justice is enough. And finally, forgiveness is not reconciliation. The person that you forgive, you may never be able to see again. But God still calls his children to this difficult place. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let's just stop for a second because here's what I see happen with people. They, they get stuck on the side of, I can't say it. I can't forgive, which is actually I won't forgive And I see an inevitable outcome, which is heartbreaking. When we withhold forgiveness, we end up in a prison. It's a prison of bitterness. And David actually says, if you choose that prison, your body will actually waste away. But if you choose to take a risk and offer grace when a sincere apology comes towards you with all of the boundaries put around it that you are empowered to use. I mean, I want to remind you, we also talked about solid yeses and solid noes in this series. But when we have the opportunity to forgive, there's a joy that sets in. I'm going to read to you Psalm 32. Same king, same stuff. And these are David's words to all of us today. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin has been put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. 
When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sin to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. And all my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there's still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You forgive me and surround me with songs of victory. Let's start right here. What do you need to come to Jesus to today and say, God, I was wrong. I was wrong. Forgive me. Who do you need to go to this week? Because you just know you need to do it. How do you know you need to do it? It's the person who's been trying to get into the back of your brain through this entire message and you just keep pushing them out, pushing them up, pushing them because you just don't want to deal with it. That's them. <laughs> Who do you need to go to and just simply say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You're not in charge of their reaction. You're in charge of your obedience. And I can't promise you that they're going to respond in grace and mercy, but I know this. If you're willing to do your part, God's heart towards you will be both gracious and merciful. Because this is more importantly about your obedience than it is anything else. And what if this week somebody shows up in your life and says, I know I hurt you, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Can you offer the same grace to them that Jesus has offered to you? Let me summarize it all. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Be forgiven as God promised he would. And remember that they both happen exactly the same way. Own your part, sincerely ask, believe that God will keep his promise, and then tell the story of God's forgiveness. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start here, and then we're gonna go here, and we're gonna do it in prayer. I know there are some of you here today, you have never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. I will never forget that moment. 18 years old, nice, tidy church kid with all of his lies wrapped up in one moment of reality. And I came to Jesus thinking, there is just no way he can forgive this stuff. But he did. And I live with it now every single day. Though your sin be as scarlet, he will wash you as white as snow. So we're going to start there, and then we're going to just ask for the courage to both give and receive that beautiful word of sorry this week. So would you pray with me right now as we close our time together? With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're in the room today, and it never even occurred to you that God would love to hear your I'm sorry. 
So if God is stirring something inside of you today, you've just felt this disconnect, you've felt this emptiness, you've felt this lostness in your soul, I'd love to give you an opportunity to take God at his word, to confess your sin and realize that God is faithful and just and he will forgive. So if that's where you find yourself today, would you pray with me in your heart right now? Father God, you gave me a life and I've lived it my way. So right now, I come to you and I simply say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for making decisions that broke your heart. I'm sorry for disregarding your beautiful standard. I'm sorry for doing this my way and right now, I confess I was wrong. And God, I know I don't deserve it, but I'm asking, would you wash me as white as snow? Would you destruct my pride and reconstruct my heart? God, I want to live a life that honors you. So right now, would you forgive me? I need to make this right. Nobody looking around, I, I would never do anything to embarrass you, but if you prayed that prayer sincerely today, my Bible says you're a new creation. All the old stuff is gone, everything is new. I'd love to pray for you this week. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you just slip your hand up in the air right now? Just stick it straight up in the air so I can see it. God bless you and you, God bless you. God bless you, God bless you. God bless you, God bless you. God, thank you for not rejecting a broken heart. For my brothers and sisters who have cried out to you, would you restore and heal and forgive and give grace? God, for those of us here as Jesus followers, Lord, give us the courage to go to whoever we need to go to and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Lord, I pray against our pride that would keep us from keeping really short accounts with each other. And God, should we be in, in that difficult but beautiful place of having someone come to us and say, I was wrong. Lord, would you in that moment make us like Jesus and allow us to forgive no matter the offense, to forgive as we've been forgiven. God, help us in this. May this county be transformed because of the obedience of your people today. And we will give you all the glory and all the praise as the God of forgiveness who has never had to say, sorry. Lord, we love you today and ask for your help. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.